0: The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. Everyone who is called by his name he created for his glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now declare his glory to the nations his mighty deeds to all people. You are created for God's glory. You are saved and redeemed for his glory. Now it's time to proclaim his glory. I'm Bethany Bindemann. Welcome back. Again, this is Proclaim His Glory, and I'm Bethany Bindemann. In my first podcast, I shared about being transformed in the presence of God's glory. In my second podcast, I shared about being in the presence of his glory. There is fullness of joy. Now, today, I'm going to share with you my third podcast. Um, The first, we're going to start out talking about the glory of God, because that is my heart is for the glory of God. The glory of God is the public display of the beauty of his majesty and worth. The glory of God is all-encompassing of his communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. That is, those are the characteristics that are uniquely God, his incommunicable attributes, and those that he has in common with us, his communicable attributes. The glory of God is the public display of God himself. It is the embodiment of the person of Jesus Christ. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. That is, they declare God's beauty and majesty and greatness and worth. The New Testament refers to Jesus as the glory of God, full of grace and truth. If God's glory is revealed in Jesus, how does God reveal Jesus to us? It is in his word. Many Christians affirm the authority of Scripture It's often referred to as a guidebook for how to live. Many value the Bible for morality and ethical teachings. Many believe it, is t- it needs to be taught in public schools to correct the morality problems of younger generations. According to Barna Research, 9 out of every 10 Americans own a Bible. Majority of Americans who do own a Bible actually have three or more Bibles in their home. If the Bible contains moral and ethical teachings that our culture needs, and nearly 90% of Americans own at least one Bible, where's the disconnect? There's a high number of people who have a great regard for the authority of Scripture but there's a small portion whose values and thinking have actually been shaped by Scripture. Now, there's a couple of reasons why people don't study the Bible. One of them is because it, they believe it is no longer relevant to modern life. What can this archaic book say to my life today, thousands of years later? Well, R.C. Sproul, and his... Um, in his series, Knowing Scripture, shares a story about Herman Melville. And you may know Herman Melville as the author of Moby Dick. He also wrote another book called Redburn. And RC Spell uses this illustration in his series, so I'd like to share it with you. Redburn is a story of a young man who is a teenager. He makes a voyage across the Atlantic to go back to his ancestral home of Liverpool, England. It has been many years since his parents immigrated to America from their home country. And his father prepared his son for this perilous journey. And it was a boy's time of awakening to manhood and maturity. The father gave his son his prized possession, a map of his precious hometown of Liverpool, which he had kept since the days he left there many years ago. He told the boy, when you go to our home and disembark from the ship, you'll follow the map and it will show you where to go, all the landmarks, the way through the beaming city of Liverpool. It will show you all the important streets. So the boy treasured the map throughout his journey. And after his perilous journey across the sea, the young man disembarked and saw his first glimpse of Liverpool which he had heard about since his youth. He was so excited, he stepped off the ship and he pulled out his father's map and began to follow it. He went two streets and he turned as the map indicated. Suddenly, he realized that the landmarks that were listed on the map no longer existed. Street names changed, businesses were gone, and new ones erected in their place. The new city of Liverpool did not correspond to the liverpool of his map. The man came to the conclusion that his father's map was no longer useful in his day and age. Melville was using symbolism to sadly indicate that the guidance of the Bible, which was cherished by his parents, would not work in our time. Sproul says that this is a sad evidence that Melville was never really able to understand how to interpret scripture in an adult way, to apply the truths written centuries before he lived to his generation. Yet we believe the Bible is the, as the Word of God is very relevant. And The second objection why people don't read the Bible is that the Bible is seemingly too difficult. Recently, My husband was speaking with a gentleman at our church, and the gentleman said that he had been a believer for a long time, but never attended church regularly and didn't read the Bible. It was too difficult, he said. He couldn't understand it. The language can seem so foreign, especially if you grew up reading the King James Version. The culture and the laws and dietary restrictions, and what does any of this have to do with us today? In Deuteronomy 6, there's two sections I want to read for you. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols upon your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. And then Deuteronomy 6 verse 20. And in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations and the decrees and the laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them. We were slaves of Pharaoh and Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised in oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all the decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the laws before the Lord our God as he commanded us, it will be our righteousness. There is an understanding. God wants his laws, his word to be known. He wants us to keep them in our hearts. He wants us to share them with our children. And he wants us to understand their meaning. Our kids, the younger generation will ask, what is the meaning of this? And as Deuteronomy 6 tells us, it is for us to point, look at the hand of God and what he did, his mighty works, what he has done for us. It wasn't anything we did for ourselves. They are proclaiming the glory of God to the younger generation. That is the example we are to follow. And so let's going back to um, understanding scripture today. So that's what the Israelites struggled with that. Moses told them that, and they he even gave them When they tell you, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of all this? They are to know, and they were supposed to be immersed in scripture, be immersed in the word of God so that they can tell the younger generation about the things that God has done. So going back, why people don't study scripture, I think there's a subcategory of people who don't feel equipped to study scripture for themselves but they, they know that they should be in the Word somehow. So they go through various Bible study books or devotionals. Um, these books and guides can be incredibly helpful and useful. But sometimes we can rely on them a little too much. And I, I say we because I've been in this category for most of my life. I felt really ill-equipped to to understand the word for a long time. And Ephesians 4 says that the the roles of different ministries within the church is to equip the saints for ministry. We are to be equipped. And I want you to feel equipped also. And I know that I did not feel equipped to do in-depth Bible study without someone guiding me through it and explaining it to me. And we can often put too rely too much on the Bible study guide, the commentary, and the devotionals, that we aren't putting that in the Word of God itself. But then there's the opposite side. What happens when we have a Bible study group gather with no study guide? I want to share with you an illustration from... Dr. Robert Stein's um, book called A Basic Guide to Interpreting the Bible. I'm going to share this story with you, hypothetical story. Tuesday night arrived. Dan and Charlene have invited several of their neighbors to a Bible study, and they are now wondering if anyone would come. Several people have agreed to come, but others have not committed. At 8 p.m., beyond their wildest hopes, everyone who was invited, arrived. After some introductions and neighborhood chit-chat, they all sat down in the living room. Dan explained that he and his wife would like to read through a book of the Bible and discuss the material with the group. He suggested that the book be a gospel, and since Mark was the shortest, he recommended it. Everyone agreed, and although several had said a bit nervously that they did not know much about the Bible, Dan reassured them. That this was all right, for no one present was a theologian, and they would work through trying to understand the Bible together. They went they then went around the room reading Mark uh, chapter one, verses one through five, verse by verse. Some because some of the different translations used, like New International Version, Revised Standard, King James and Living Bible, Dan sought to reassure all present that although the wording of various translations might be different, They all mean the same thing. After they finished reading the passage, each person was to think of a brief summary to describe what the passage meant. After thinking for a few minutes, they began to share their thoughts. Sally was the first to speak. What this passage means to me is that everyone needs to be baptized, and I believe it should be by immersion. John responded, that's not what I think it means. I think it means that everyone needs to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Ralph said, somewhat timidly, I am not exactly sure what I should be doing. Should I try to understand what Jesus and John the Baptist meant or what the passage means to me? Dan told him that what was important was what the passage meant to him. Encouraged by this, Ralph replied, Well, what it means to me is that when you really want to meet God, you need to go out to the wilderness just like John the Baptist and Jesus did. Life is too busy and hectic. You have to get away and commune with nature. I have a friend who says that to experience God, you have to go out into the woods and get in tune with the rocks. It was Cor- Corey who brought the discretion to an abrupt halt. The Holy Spirit has shown me, he said, that this passage means that when a person is baptized in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will descend upon him like a dove. This is what is called baptism of the Spirit. Jan replied meekly, I don't think that's the, what the meaning is. Cory, however, reassured her that since the Holy Spirit had given him the meaning, it must be correct. Jan did not respond to Cory, but it was obvious she did not agree with what he said. Dan was uncomfortable about the way things were going and sought to resolve the situation. He said, Maybe we are what we are experiencing is an indication of the richness of the Bible. It can mean so many things. But, Dr. Stein says, But does a text of the Bible mean many things? Can't a text mean different, even contradictory things? Is there a control over the meaning of text? Is, it, is interpretation controlled by means of an individual revelation given by the Holy Spirit? Do words and grammar control the meaning of a text? If so, what text are we referring to? Is there a particular English translation, such as King James or New International? Why not the New Revised Standard or the Living Bible? Why not a Gro- Lutheran translation, a German translation, a Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic text? Do they, those best reflect what the original authors, such as Isaiah, Paul, and Luke wrote? What about the original authors? How are they related to the meaning of the text? Now, I don't know about you... I've been in similar situations. Have you been in sim- similar Bible study situations that were that were like this, where you just you read a passage and you ask, well, "What does this mean to you? What do you think this means?" And everybody gives all kinds of different interpretations, different meanings, and applications. This is just like we're going through today, without um, any sort of control over. Um, what the Bible could mean is the Bible the meaning of the Bible subjective? Is this how God wants us to know him? There are some people who understand correctly that the, that God speaks through his word, but they approach the Bible with What does God want to say to me today approach then open the Bible at random, put their finger down, and that's the portion of the Bible that God is speaking to them today. That's God's message for them. I was actually taught this method in a Christian um, elementary school. It seems to, to be the nature of most Christians to jump right into application or the what does this mean to me phrase. Phase. This comes, I think, from a great and admirable place that the Bible speaks to us and has meaning for us today. But I also think that this could come from a very self-centered and self-righteous place. It becomes all about me. What is God saying to me? It can be very instant gratification. I need to read this and I need to apply this right now. And it lacks element of work. And we're supposed to love God with all of our mind in addition to all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. And we want to think about God and dwell on the things that he has said. The Bible is not a collection of fortune cookie statements to select and apply at random. God is a God of order and design. He revealed himself to various people and through various people with specific purposes. If we are created for God's glory, called by his glory, and if Jesus is the embodiment of that glory, and that glory is revealed in God's word, then we have a duty to study this word. One of the main principles of hermeneutics—that's a fancy word for interpreting writings— the, the passage has only one meaning, but many possible and various implications and applications. The one meaning is what the original author intended it to mean when he wrote it to his original audience. From this, we can then work to understand what is God saying through that original author to the audience. Then we can determine the timeless truth that God is saying to all people of all time. From that timeless truth, we can determine how we might apply it to our lives or situations today. One of the best methods was taught by Howard Hendricks in his book, Living by the Book. I definitely recommend it if you can get this book. Um, the, the lectures and the course videos are also the DVD is available through his website and on Right Now Media have both a long and short version of Howard Hendricks' Living by the Book seminars. It's amazing. Everyone should do it. It is the Living by the Book method is a three-stage process of observation, interpretation, and then and only then application. In the observation stage, we ask the question of the text, what does it say? And then investigate the words. Pose investigative questions such as who, what, when, where, how, and why. Write down every tidbit. Look for patterns, repeated words, phrases, synonyms. Look for contrast. Pretend that you are Monk or Sherlock Holmes. And you have stepped onto a crime scene. What do you observe? Look at the big picture context. What's happening here? Look at that cultural and historical setting. Look at the words and note what is there. And see how it relates to other other words in the passage. And other ideas presented. And then you move on to interpretation. We look at the passage and all of our observation data, and we ask, what does this mean? What did the biblical author mean to communicate when he wrote or said this? And how would the original audience have understood this when they heard it? What did God intend to communicate to that original audience? Now, just like Monk or Sherlock Holmes, after observations are made, then interpretation of what happened can be made. We use Bible study tools in the interpretation stage to gain deeper understanding. Tools such as Bible dictionaries, commentaries, and lexicons. Only after we have done this work of observation and interpretation do we move on to application. Because we can only rightly apply the word if we have rightly understood it. After we understand what the passage communicates within its context to the original author, we seek to find the timeless principle. What is the pattern of meaning for all people? In light of the meaning to the original audience, what is God communicating to all people of all time? Once we determine that timeless principle, we ask, What does this mean to me? how do I apply this to my life? Remember to always approach the text within its context. That is the literary context, cultural context, historical context. You know, literary context is so important. You don't interpret an epistle as you do the Psalms. Psalms are written from a very emotive place and it's not literal same as proverbs proverbs is not a literary promise but it's a general statement of general truth these things are will generally happen if you follow the proverb it is not a promise that it will happen every time epistles are are very linear linear they are very forward and greek, greek thinking whereas eastern thinking such as The Psalms are very figurative thinking, and we have to understand and interpret Scripture according to its literary genre. And we have to understand what's going on culturally and historically. Where on the timeline of history is this happening? What can we understand about it Historically, where does it fit in? And, and having understood, maybe how the Israelites would have understood passages of the Old Testament. How did the Pharisees and the the Jews of Judea understood the words of Jesus? How would they have understood his proverbs, his parables? Sorry, how would they understood the parables of Jesus in light of their cultural and historical context? We need to pose these questions to to understand its meaning. And once we've gotten the pattern of meaning, then we can apply that pattern and that principle to our lives today. This type of Bible study is life-changing and life-giving, and we need to ask questions such as what is Paul addressing here? What is the topic the author is speaking We need to ask, what what is, you know, if if you come across scripture and there's a word, this or it, we need to ask, what does this mean? What is it referring to? What is the it of the sentence? What is the therefore, therefore? You need to go back in context. Always understand scripture within its literary and literal context. We can see the heart of God even more clearly with this. Jesus quoting Deuteronomy says that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word, every single word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he said that to Satan. We need to follow this. We need to live on every word of God. Paul said that all of scripture is breathed out by God. That is, it proceeded from his mouth. He breathed it out. And if you want to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul exhorts Timothy, then you need to give value, and I need to give value to every word that God has given, and must uphold and understand it in its proper context. God has revealed his glory through his word and we have a duty and a responsibility to study it and to know it, observe it, interpret it, understand its meaning and to apply that meaning to our lives today and to teach other people to do likewise. God is the hero. He is glorious. He has done this for His glory. He wants you to know Him. He wants me to know Him. I want to know Him so much more deeply. All for His glory. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaim His Glory. Again, my name is Bethany Binderman. I hope you like what you heard today. And if you did, please subscribe to my podcast. I have a lot of great content planned for you. If you'd like, you can connect with me at Facebook.com slash ProclaimHisGlory and also on my website at ProclaimGlory.com. Until next time, may grace and peace of our Lord be with you.